You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome to America's Web Radio. This is Ron Bachman, and you've tuned in to Healthcare Insight. But we're not going to talk about healthcare. Once again, the most important issues of the day are more critical because we are living in a time where healthcare free market systems is not top of the mind of people. It's not top of any legislative initiative. And so I think before we can get there, I want to focus on the social issues that are preventing us from talking about capitalism, free markets, and healthcare as a solution for Americans. And I also want for our listeners out there to think about two topics that are currently hot in the media, in the news, and anything you'd read, they're affecting our lives every day or so it seems. And one is the crisis in Afghan, and the other is critical race theory. I want to try to bring those two together in a way that maybe you haven't heard before. And I have searched and found a presentation by an individual that I think you will really enjoy listening to his perspective on critical race theory in particular. So uh, let me start by saying that those of you keeping up with any news at all know that we have a calamity going on in Afghanistan. Not that we shouldn't withdraw, but the way in which we're withdrawing, the way in which we are leaving with our tails tucked behind ourselves so that we look embarrassed on the world scene. And the current administration doesn't seem to care the impact that it has on the message of America to the world as we've historically presented it, of freedoms and liberties and free speech, freedom to associate, freedom of religion, freedom of the press. All those things now are gone because the Taliban in in Afghanistan doesn't believe in any of that. So on the moral side of um, foreign policy, what are we telling the rest of the world? That it's not worth pursuing these goals for people who have been under the oppression of the Taliban or the ISIS caliphate? So let's contrast that with what's happening in America with critical race theory. With critical race theory, we're saying that we're a racist country. We're founded on racism, that we ought to separate ourselves by the color of our skin, and that we have an oppressor and an oppressed, a victimizer and a victim. And we don't believe in our own goodness as Americans. Domestically, we've been fighting about it, and the world has been hearing and seeing that. And now on our foreign policy, we're saying, yeah, we don't really believe in the freedoms that we enjoy or have enjoyed, because we don't think that other people would accept those freedoms. And so we've sent a message to the world stage, to the world leaders, to our allies, that in fact, we're not willing to fight for freedom anymore. And when we back off, we're just going to leave people stranded behind uh, enemy lines. We're going to leave hostages behind by the thousands so that they can blackmail us, so that they can rule in this barbaric way against people who 
for 20 years over there, certain parts of the country have lived under the kinds of freedoms that they have learned to enjoy. So it'll be interesting to see what happens to the underlying population. Most of those people are likely to be killed, and we don't seem to care. So we've got a message internationally of abandoning our basic principles of trying to free people. And at home, we're sending a message to the world that half of our country thinks that we're racist and irredeemable. So let's talk about some of these issues today. Let's dig in a little bit more to this critical race theory, which is eating away at our home view of ourselves. And that message seems to be creeping into our foreign policy. So I've searched the Internet for a good guest today. And I found one that was doing an interview with the Heritage Foundation. And his name is Dr. Vodi Bakum. Now, most of you probably haven't heard of Professor Bakum, but let me give you a little bit of background, then I'll let him give a little bit more of his um, background and experiences and where he's coming from in life and where he is today. But in general, he is an author of a great book called Fault Lines and Social Justice. He's a professor, dean of theology at the African Christian University in Zambia. But he's not a Zambian. While he has African roots in his family, he's really on a six-year mission in Zambia, a Christian mission. And he was educated uh, at um, Houston Baptist University, at Southwest Baptist Theological Seminary, and Southeast Baptist Theological Seminary, and did postgraduate work at the University of Oxford in England. He's got quite a resume, but before we get into some of the questions and answers and his perspective on things like critical race theory, um, let me um, ask uh, Dr. Bacham if you would please give us a little bit more of your background so that your audience can get the kind of credentials and experience and perspective that you will bring to this uh, presentation today. I am a descendant of, of slaves. My family's been here for six, seven generations. Um, all the way, you know, through slavery in the South. And I was born and raised in South Los Angeles, California, raised by a single teenage mother. Um, I grew up during the area of desegregation, so I was bused uh, at one time from my all-black elementary school in South Central Los Angeles to an all-white elementary school in Pacific Palisades, um, so I've experienced um, all of, of, of those things uh, in my youth. Uh, if it was uh, Martin Luther King or Malcolm X, uh, I identified much more with Malcolm X and was more of a, a black power sort of individual. And all the way up until, you know, my early life as a Christian, uh, that was the perspective through which I viewed my own experience and through which I viewed America and culture in general. So it wasn't until coming to faith, uh, my freshman year in college, uh, the first time I heard the gospel was my freshman year in college, it wasn't until coming to faith that those things began to change for me. And at that time, it didn't have anything to do with black or white. It just had everything to do with whether or not my worldview would be structured and guided um, and influenced by scripture or 
by something else that I deemed more significant and more important. And, you know, by God's grace, I, I hope that I'm always on the scriptural side of that as opposed to letting anything else dominate. So, Professor, you do have a very unusual perspective. You come at it from a, a black history perspective. Uh, your family's been black. Your whole history of your family has been black and goes back to slavery. Um, you're an American. Um, most of your life you lived here. You're on a mission in uh, Zambia right now, so you have a foreign perspective. You were very what we call today progressive, if not radical, uh, in your early days. But maybe most important, you come at it today from a Christian perspective of what is your worldview on how people should treat other people and how we should work to get along better, to understand each other, to accept each other, the idea of unconditional love for both family and your fellow man. So you wrote this great book called Fault Lines and Social Justice. Tell me a little bit about what spurred you to actually put that together, because you've been involved in this whole area of critical race theory for probably a decade or more. A long time. You were at the very beginning of where a lot of this started, where people were not even aware of the idea of critical race theory or uh, critical uh, politics or whatever the term might be, that there's a lot of history there that you have firsthand knowledge of. So tell us a little bit about why you decided to write this book and put it all down on paper. You know, it's interesting. I've been talking about uh, critical theory for a decade and a half. Um, I've been talking about the the influence of Marxism and the you know influence of things like the the Frankfurt School, um, Gramscian neo Marxism um, since you know people were you know looking at me like I was crazy in you know two thousand five six seven when I was talking about these things and so I, I'm not new to the party in that sense but. When all of these recent events started to happen, and uh, you know, you can go all the way back to Trayvon Martin um, and Mike Brown, and the reason I go back to those is because Black Lives Matter came out of those two incidents. That's that's where the Black Lives Matter movement started, and so I've been engaging on this uh, publicly since then. But fast forward to you know the last six years living as an American expat in another country. And when our Zambian students started to ask me questions about whether or not I feared the police or about police corruption in the United States, um, at that point, it, it was a bridge too far. I mean, you need to understand that, you know, in Zambia, um, you know, the police will pull you over. They'll have checkpoints on the side of the road. They'll pull you over. And when they find a violation, you have to pay your fine in cash on the side of the road. Um, so corruption is rampant. Uh, thieves are regularly beaten if they're you know caught stealing something. And you know if you try to take a cell phone video, uh, you could end up suffering the same fate. So when people who are living with real um, police corruption and who know nothing of a professional police force start asking questions like that, or started asking questions like that. I just felt like I, I couldn't be silent any longer and uh, began to work on this project then. 
You know, Professor, sometimes we only know history when we look back and find out things were started that we never appreciated back then when it was happening. And I understand your involvement and your knowledge of what happened in 1989 is really the the head of the Nile, the beginning, the heart of what we're seeing today in critical race theory and other aspects of what's breaking down our society. Tell us about 1989 and what really happened then to start all of this. 1989 was the, the inaugural meeting. Um, critical race theory had, had been around and been developing out of critical legal studies in the 1970s and so on, but it really came to fruition when it had its first meeting in Wisconsin in 1989. Uh, intersectionality, which is another branch of critical race theory, um, Kimberly Crenshaw published her seminal paper on intersectionality in 1989. Also, you know, this common term that we use, white privilege, well, the seminal paper on that, Peggy McIntosh published in 1989. Um, and then also the book After the Ball, um, How America Will Overcome Its Fear and Hatred of Homosexuality in the Decade of the 90s, or its Fear and Hatred of Gays in the Decade of the 90s. That book was published in 1989, and it was a propaganda piece. Um, but these two authors from, from Harvard University, one in psychology and one in marketing, basically put forward a marketing strategy um, and a, a propaganda strategy. And they called it a propaganda strategy to change the way Americans thought and to change the political landscape, if you will, which is very much connected to the ideas behind critical race theory, intersectionality and so on and so forth. Great insights on the history, Professor. I want to dig into some of your um, observations and opinions on this whole critical race theory, Marxism that's developing this country. We get back from commercial, so we will be right back, folks. Stay tuned. Whether cruising the strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Hello, my name is Rick White, and I'm the director of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. I want to encourage all Georgia veterans to consider being nominated to the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And if you are a Georgia veteran, and the definition of a Georgia veteran is either you were born in the state of Georgia, or you've lived here 10 years, or you were raised your right hand and joined the military in this state, you are considered a Georgia veteran. For further information, go to www.gmbhof.org, or you can contact me at 678-427-0915. We'd love to have your nomination for the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. Thank you so much. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. I want to jump right back in to the discussion with Professor Bauckham, a black American who is on a mission overseas in Zambia who comes to the issue of critical race theory as somebody who's involved uh, at the very beginning, is well aware of the authors of many of the publications that started in 1989. So this is not a new phenomena. It's been something that's out there and growing. And it reminds me of somebody once asked me, you know, when did the Renaissance start? When did the we know uh, when the fall of the uh, Soviet Union actually occurred? Now, we know that in 1989, as an example, there were some major issues, Tiananmen Square, uh, the fall of the Berlin Wall, uh, a number of things that seemed like the world had changed and freedom and liberty and democracy 
that the principles of the United States were going to take hold in this new world order, as was discussed at that time. But what was happening behind the scenes is all this remarkable information, this remarkable thought process that uh, nobody was paying any attention to. Uh, but now it's sort of surfaced. And it's interesting to have that kind of discussion of what actually is going on and how we got to critical race theory so that we can, in fact, defeat it with the same kinds of strategies or exposure that this is really a Marxist, neo-Marxist ideology that's uh, pushing this country in a very socialist, un-American type of a um, uh, future. So, Professor, tell me about this dichotomy of what was happening at the time in the media and what was really going on sort of behind the scenes that you're well aware of. It's important to note that those things that you're talking about were happening on the surface. They were happening very publicly. And so we're looking at those things and we're seeing what's happening in Tiananmen Square. We're seeing the Berlin Wall fall down. But the things that I mentioned were all happening in the academy. They were happening under the surface and people just weren't aware that those things were going on. So these were parallel events, parallel movements that were happening at the same time. And it's just that the one that was underground at that time has now become public and it's moved to the forefront. Well, Professor Bauckham, I want to talk about this critical race theory and the whole issue of social justice. In particular, I want to talk about it, not so much what we're hearing in the schools and, you know, from Loudoun County, Virginia, and what's in the media and parents yelling and screaming at school boards. I think there's a more fundamental issue here that you've approached and described in your book, and that is the whole idea of social justice movement and the church. Uh, our country was founded on religious freedom. So much of our beginnings were about our faith. Our leaders promoted it. It was in our Constitution. It's in our Declaration of Independence. We are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. And we've forgotten that in our country. We've gotten to this idea of separation of church and state. But in fact, the movement towards social justice, it seems, has crept into our faith, our churches, our synagogues. It sounds good. And I think the opposition has made it sound good so that too many people of faith are being sucked into this idea of social justice, which really is not benefiting uh, the poor, the sick, the elderly in my opinion, in any way. So tell us about that history of social justice and the church. Yeah, well, first of all, this this whole, uh, the broader picture, uh, you know, critical race theory is part of a broader movement, the critical social justice movement. And the social justice movement has really been gaining traction in the last several years among Christians, among evangelicals, uh, among Roman Catholics, it, it, it's been gaining traction. And part of the reason that it's gaining traction is because it sounds not only good, but it sounds familiar. Um, social justice movement. Who's not for justice, right? What Christian wouldn't be for justice? 
um, you know, racial injustice. Who wants racial injustice, right? We don't want any kind of racial injustice, least of all racial injustice. And so these these ideas and these terminologies sound very familiar to Christians, and they've really gained a foothold. And one of the reasons that they've gained a foothold is that people don't know where they come from. They're not familiar with critical theory. They're not familiar with Marxist conflict theory. They're, they don't know that these are the things that that lay beneath um, these concept and concepts and ideologies. And so a lot of uh, Christians, especially a lot of younger Christians who are, you know, just coming out of the university or are in the university, have really been sort of inundated with these ideas and have sort of, you know, infused them into their Christianity and in their desire to be altruistic, um, they've been misguided. And it's caused a great deal of division within many churches and families and organizations and seminaries and so on and so forth. Professor Bachman, you are exactly right. We see it so often now and a growing trend towards churches splitting between what some would call the progressive ideology of the church, which is many times ingrained in the hierarchy of the church and in the conservative memberships of the church, which just don't agree. They don't want to give their money, their time, their talents to an organization that has become so progressive and anti-American in many ways. It also seems to me that the churches have given up to government the role of helping the poor, the sick, the elderly, and and want the government to take over that so they don't have to do it uh, quite as much. So I think this idea of churches splitting, of congregations splitting, is very much um, happening today. Um, but do you have a specific example of how critical race theory has changed the church and maybe um, maybe there's a little rebound where people are pushing back at it. But give me an example of what's happened recently um, that you can point to as a specific. Uh, the Southern Baptist Convention, for example, uh, just a couple of years ago, passed a resolution, the infamous Re- Resolution 9 on critical race theory and intersectionality. And it's amazing that, you know, the people who now know what critical race theory is and know what intersectionality is are scratching their heads trying to understand why the conservative Southern Baptist Convention would pass a resolution affirming critical race theory and affirming intersectionality. By the way, last year, the six presidents of the Southern Baptist seminaries came out with a statement against critical race theory. This is just a year after the convention passes a resolution in favor of critical race theory. So, you know, these ideas very much infiltrated the the church and have caused a a great deal of harm and continue to cause a great deal of harm. This is about an ideology that has its roots in Marxism versus an ideology that has its roots in the scriptures. Okay, so I understand you were involved in something that was called the Dallas Statement, which was critical of um, critical race theory. And But the professors at the universities at the seminar weren't signing on to it, and that caused a big problem. So I understand that a pastor in California uh, put together a statement and submitted it 
to the Southern Baptist Convention. Is is that correct? Is that the, the what I understand is the hi- proper history? A pastor in California um, writes a resolution in the Southern Baptist Convention about critical race theory and intersectionality because professors and leaders in our seminaries were not signing the Dallas Statement. And so this was kind of forcing the hand of the convention, right? Um, to say, you know, are we, how can we how can we not sign the Dallas Statement? How can we not, you know, uh, face these things head on? And so he brought a resolution uh, really condemning critical race theory and intersectionality. Okay, Professor, so now the plot thickens, and we can see firsthand the deviousness of the critical race theory Marxist um, ideology and how they might change something from one perspective to the opposite perspective. How did that happen with the Southern Baptist Convention, who initially wound up supporting critical race theory. How does that happen? But when the resolutions committee got his statement, what they did was they gutted it and they flipped it and turned it into a statement affirming critical race theory and intersectionality. And because the head of that committee was a black professor at a flagship seminary, you know, standing at the podium, um, basically championing this resolution, um, Southern Baptists were not going to vote down that resolution under those circumstances. Because if you do, you're immediately called racist because you attacked one of our black professors and voted down a resolution that he was arguing in favor of. And so it wasn't that the SBC was in favor of Resolution 9 necessarily, or in favor of critical race theory intersectionality. It's just that the way that that whole thing came about and was set up was a perfect storm for this to happen the way that it did, which explains why your six presidents can, you know, a year later come up with a joint statement against critical race theory after the convention has affirmed it. Well, I think people are becoming aware you have at these school boards, for example, you have uh, black parents standing up and saying, my kids are not victims. I don't want them to think that they can't grow up and be whoever they want to be, do whatever they want to do, because some system is holding them down. The system isn't holding people down. You also have the example that the critical race theory people uh, can't explain how minorities are victims and held down by white supremacy uh, because the Asian population, Chinese, Japanese, Singapore, Hong Kong, you name it, they come to the United States and they flourish. Why do they flourish? Their culture is more around education, around solid families, around the basic principles of wanting to achieve meritocracy, liberty, um, uh, private markets, uh, private property, all those things that have made America great and you may be a minority, but if you want to achieve in America, you can achieve because the system is set up to allow those people to reach their optimum opportunities, their optimum capabilities, if they so want, and don't think of themselves as victims, but try to work through any difficulties or barriers in life that occur. So, Professor, do you see a turnaround starting to happen at all from this initial critical race theory, critical theory uh, ideology? 
yes, I am actually. And this is happening not only in the church, but outside. You mentioned school boards and there are people who now are becoming aware of critical race theory and intersectionality. Um, they're coming, they're becoming aware of critical pedagogy. And again, that word critical is key. They all come from critical theory. And, and I, I try to explain that in the book and give people a foundation. And so people have become aware of these things. And once you become aware of these things and the ideology behind them, um, you know, decent people uh, are going to stand up against this. That's happening in the culture at large that's happening in the church and it's very encouraging well it's also very encouraging are the words and history that you're sharing with us so let's come back i hope our audience i know our audience is learning a lot and is excited by your presentation the information that you're giving us so let's take a quick commercial break and let's delve into this a little bit more Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. This is the third segment of Healthcare Insight. And as I've said many times, we are not talking about healthcare today. We're talking about social issues. We're talking about critical race theory in particular because that is the dominant issue. We need to get through some of these before we can ever get to talk about healthcare. So it's connected to healthcare in the sense that we have to clean the table a little bit off of all these crazy social issues before we can put on the table the ideas of free market healthcare. So today we're talking to Dr. Vodi Bakum, who is a uh, pastor on a mission in Zambia. He is a um, a dean, a professor of uh, theology at the African Christian University in Zambia at the moment. But he has been involved in health in uh, not healthcare. He's been involved in the critical race theory issues from the very beginning. So. Professor, I want to go back to this issue of people standing up. We're seeing it in um, some school boards where parents stand up and say, you know, I'm not going to accept this, and they get be rowdy on the pro and against. Um, and I think the argument is changing, as you, as you mentioned. I think people who are against this critical race theory have now gotten enough substance, enough a mass that, in fact, it's okay to speak out and you're not being a racist by speaking out. In fact, it's the opposite. So we've sort of taken back that argument, I think, in many of the school boards and in many of the state legislatures and governorships that are passing resolutions to um, outlaw the kind of anti-American rhetoric that comes from critical race theory. But let's go back to the church. What's happening in the church and how do you contrast what might be happening in the church and those dynamics, and what's been happening at the school board and political uh, levels. Back in pastors are speaking out against this. Um, 
you know, yeah, it, it's it's absolutely happening all over the place. Um, unfortunately, you know, in church, it's a little different than in the school board because, you know, in the school board, you know, we have mandatory government education and you have to go to the school that you're zoned to and so on and so forth. Whereas at church, um, you can just vote with your feet and and, and people do that. Um, I guess you can do that in schools as well, you know, leaving and going to private schools and charter schools. But in, in church, people just kind of, they'll just kind of go away. Um, so you don't always see that that confrontation, if you will, for lack of a better word. But there are these discussions and, and debates that are happening. And there are people who are standing up against this openly in churches and pastors uh, and professors and others who are standing up against this publicly. And it's interesting because now it's gone from, you know, a few of us, you know, making statements and taking heat for it to some of the very people who not only didn't stand with us, but were against us now standing up against critical race theory and intersectionality as well. Many proponents of CRT would simply say that it is another perspective on history, that it has no broader uh, meaning or perspective, that it just is a, a different historical perspective that we ought to use in contrast uh, to the teachings of our history that we've had up until this point in time. But many of those who are against it recognize it's broader than that. Uh, it's a worldview so that everything that you would look at is viewed through the lens of this perspective of critical race theory about us being racist, the country being found on racism, so we can't be any good, that you get white supremacy and oppressor and all that. So, Professor, what do you think? Is CRT this broader worldview that everything has to be looked through? It's just not an analytical tool, if you will, on the side that is kind of an interesting uh, perspective to look at, maybe, but is not got uh, a broader implication. Is it or is it not a worldview? Yeah, it, it, CRT is a worldview with clear presuppositions. Um, you know, some of the main tenets of CRT, and this is not me, um, these are the leading proponents and exponents of CRT who say that their, their main tenets are things like, number one, racism is normal, right? Um, in relationships between people and in the power dynamics between groups, uh, racism is normal and it's unavoidable. Everything is racist. So to prove your point on that first tenet, if you will, of um, critical race theory, uh, we constantly hear every day in the media and movies and TV programs and celebrities talking that we are a racist country. Everything is racist. And we heard that word over and over again. And and those of us who believe we are not a racist country, you kind of get tired of hearing it. But it is the worldview of many people that has been ingrained in their thinking. So that very first tenet is a powerful message. And that's why we continue to hear from that kind of ideology that uh, we are racist, the people are racist, the country is racist, and the system is now racist. So. Um, what are some of the other tenets that's critical that this audience hear and know about, not just the very first, which I don't know if it's the most important one or not, that we everything is racist, but what are the other uh, basic principles, the tenets of this critical race theory um, worldview? Secondly, 
uh, one of CRT's tenets and presuppositions is that it's called interest convergence theory. White people are incapable of righteous actions on race unless their interests converge with minorities. Uh, so, again, you've got original sin. Now you've got, uh, you know, the, the whole idea of total depravity. These, these, these are religious terms, and they use religious terms. Professor, this um, second um, basic principle here makes me think back to the days of um, President Obama when he uh, was a believer in the black liberation theology of his church of uh, Pastor Wright in Chicago. And that basically said there's no individual salvation, that the salvation for the white population is only if they give everything back to the black population. So it's a very strange kind of a Marxist uh, religious belief that you're now saying is really part of uh, critical race theory as well. So tell me what's next. What's the third uh, basic principle? Um, the third one is 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 an anti-liberalism, um, not believing in things like uh, objective truth and meritocracy and and you know in, enlightenment, right? You know, reasoning and so on and so forth. Well, let me jump in here real quickly because what you're saying here is that critical race theory is exactly what we've heard in previous weeks from Marxist professors who said that truth is not really what their goal is. It's not to teach people how to think, but instead what to think. And that reality is only what you teach people. They are like uh, pieces of clay. You can mold them however you want, and you tell them something is either true or not true based upon what you want them to know, uh, not what they inherently can discover on their own. So that's that's so consistent with everything that we've learned in the last few weeks when we focus strictly on uh, Marxist theology. So continue. What is the uh, the next basic principle? And then the last one is this idea that knowledge is culturally, um, you know, constructed, uh, socially constructed, and that the way that we come to knowledge is through narratives. And so because white people are the oppressor and minorities are the oppressed, the oppressors can't have insight into what's going on unless and until they elevate the voices of minorities. And that ought to sound very familiar because we're hearing that everywhere, right? We've got to elevate black voices. We've got to elevate, you know, LGBTQ voices. We've got to elevate the voices of minorities. Well, the reason that we have to do this according to CRT is because that's the way that we come to knowledge. So, I mean, these are, you know, among the most fundamental assumptions of critical race theory. So what you're clearly saying, Professor uh, Bauckham, is that um, critical race theory is not some benign um, historical perspective, something that can be taught and not going to have an impact that, in fact, it is uh, it is Marxist at its core. It's laying a greater foundation. And these Marxist ideologues are very, very subversive, sneaky, smart in some ways from their own perspective to inculcate into society, into our schools, into our churches, these Marxist ideologies that may sound good on the surface, but there is a reason for laying this kind of a foundation so that it can be built on with more and more Marxist ideologies. 
Is that what's really happening? The idea that, you know, everything is, you know, power dynamics and oppressor oppressed, that's Marxism. That's not scripture. That's Marxism. The idea that everything is racist. Um, and so we have to view America through that lens itself. Again, you you can't get there from any kind of, you know, biblical reasoning. The idea that white people, you know, are incapable of righteous actions on race. Mm-hmm. Um, again, you you just can't get there from here. So the, the, the fundamental presuppositions of this worldview are at odds, not only with biblical Christianity, they're at odds with basic rational thinking. Um, and so we, we have to reject this. So, Professor, let's drill down on this uh, difference between critical race theory and Christianity. Um what are the real fundamental differences as you see them? You've talked about them a little bit, but maybe we can nail this a little bit more for our audience out there. First of all, this idea that you can actually separate people into oppressor or oppressed based on their ethnicity. The Bible acknowledges oppression, right? But the idea that people would be oppressors based solely on their ethnicity and that you would condemn people um, as irredeemable sinners based solely on their, their race or ethnicity. Uh, that would be completely, completely counter to, to biblical truth. The idea that you would reject things like objective truth and, and meritocracy and things of this nature. Again, that would be completely at odds with the scriptures. The idea that the way that, we come to knowledge is through elevating certain individuals' voices over others that would be completely at odds with the scriptures, right? We, we understand truth through reason and revelation, you know? Um, so these, among other things, would be completely at odds with, with biblical thinking. Professor Bachum, your insights and your perspective from the various experiences you've lived as a black um, growing up in Los Angeles as a professor, as a um, missionary over in Africa, looking back, hearing what's happening in your classes over there, uh, being a uh, pastor yourself, going through seminary, uh, being uh, an educated elite, if you will, that you've come around from being that radical uh, to viewing the world through Christianity. And that worldview is totally in conflict with uh, critical race theory. And I really appreciate and I hope our audience understands the value of your perspective that you bring and the truth that you bring. I want to continue with this for our last segment. If you'll hang on and if our audience will hang on, we will be right back after this commercial break. Hey folks, this is Victor with the On Point with Victor show. Make sure you listen every Tuesday, 1 to 2, only right here on America's Web Radio, the On Point with Victor show. Remember folks, I'm not angry. I'm just right. And you can find out why every Tuesday from 1 to 2, the On Point with Victor show, only right here on America's Web Radio. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. 
Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about antique car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the final segment of Healthcare Insight today. Uh, today we are talking with uh, Dr. Vodi Bakum, who is a uh, black American uh, currently on mission in uh, Zambia, and he has been involved in the ideas of critical race theory and exposing it for the Marxist ideology, theology that it really is. And his arguments and his insights have been very instrumental in fighting back this idea that, oh, critical race theory is simply an innocuous kind of a teaching that we should proceed with. But his argument is that it is really a Marxist ideology that is building this foundation for more Marxist um, ideology, theology, training our kids to think in a certain way, because Marx thinks that our kids and our uh, young adults are college students are just pieces of clay that can be molded that what they think is only what they're being told, that they don't have uh, the ability to think critically, that what they really have is an ingrained um, storyline that's constantly being fed to them, uh, that if it's a Marxist storyline, that that is what they'll ultimately come to believe. And we're seeing that in our everyday life of what's going on around us, the media storyline has to match up with a certain uh, dynamic. The um, educational system has to be teaching something instead of learning about critical thinking. They're teaching people uh, what to think, and that's where we need to change. So since this is so connected to Marxism, Professor Bauckham, can you give us more specific examples? I know you've talked about it a good bit during this entire hour so far, but just to kind of nail this down, could you give us more specific examples of how critical race theory is in fact connected uh, to Marxism. First of all, in the term critical. So you got to understand that, you know, Marx's idea was eventually, his, his idea was conflict theory. The idea that you separate the world into, and it was economic in nature. Um, and you separate the world into the bourgeois and proletariat, for example. Um, eventually, neo-Marxism under Gramsci and under um, the Frankfurt School develops this idea of critical theory, which, again, is akin to Marxist conflict theory. But that term, critical, brings with it some assumptions and it assumes this oppressor-oppressed dynamic. It assumes that we have to look critically, that we have to problematize all things in a given society or culture with the assumption of the oppressor-oppressed dynamic. So the first thing that connects it to its Marxist roots is that it uses the term critical. Critical theory, critical race theory, critical pedagogy, critical social justice. These things, are they're tipping their hand and connecting themselves to the Frankfurt School, connecting themselves to, to neo-Marxism. 
by using this terminology that has clear meaning in the academic literature. You know, Professor, I don't think most people give a lot of weight and understanding to that word critical that you just explained connects all of this back to Marxism. It seems like somewhat of an innocuous term, a phrase, uh, critical race theory could have just said race theory for the way most of us sort of see it or perceive it or hear it. This idea of critical being connected to so many other areas is recognition that critical race theory is just a piece of this broader perspective that you mentioned earlier in the hour of critical theory. So you have critical uh, pedagogy. In other words, how do you teach students around Marxism um, of critical uh, legal positions so that the law is uh, is rearranged and changed so that we recognize the implications of race throughout and how damaging it is to um, our legal system or many other areas. There's critical this and critical that that you've described before. So I think it's a great point, uh, but your other presentations just build on that uh, that you've made during the hour of those fundamental principles. So let me change um, uh, to another type of a question. Um, if you are a member of a church where your pastor is promoting critical race theory, what is it that we can do as a congregant out there to push back if we happen to see this in our own community, in our own community church? I don't know. Every, every church is going to be different. They, there may need to be um, letters written yeah, to, to people in the, in the episcopacy and bishops and so on and so forth. But I say you always start small. You always start with relationships. You always start with conversations. Make sure that you have an understanding and make sure that you give people the benefit of the doubt. Um, don't just, you know, start off by writing letters, you know, up the chain of command. Uh, but start off with conversations about these things. Um, I, 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 one of the reasons that I wrote the book is that I wanted to give people tools to be able to understand and to be able to speak intelligently about these ideas because so many of us, you know, there's so many people out there who hear these things and they're uncomfortable with them, but they don't exactly know how to put their finger on it. They, they don't exactly know what words to use, what terms to use. They don't know what it is that's bothering them. And so my hope was that this would be a tool for people to be able to have those conversations that ought to start on the individual level. You know, Professor Bachman, there's some people who would just say, well, we can glean any good from whatever it might even be bad. Let's don't censor anything. Let's don't make too big a deal about it, that any uh, point of view is okay, that there's no absolute right or wrong. Your truth and my truth can be different. Everything is relative. Of course, as you know, that is also part of the Marxist theory, that there is no absolute truth, which is why there's so much against religion, if you will, as uh, uh, Marxism is really an atheist um, uh, uh, ideology. So to that point that, well, you know, we can uh, listen and, uh, you know, we can prioritize, but the reality is we ought to read everything just so we know, just like we're trying to get a better understanding of this through this podcast. So is there anything that you would consider to be redeemable out of the um, critical race theory uh, concepts? There's, there's nothing that I'm aware of that we can glean from CRT 
because I know this, there's nothing that CRT brings to the table in terms of race and in terms of justice that the Bible doesn't speak to better. Um, so we, we don't need CRT for that. Um, the, the Bible is very clear when it comes to uh, reconciliation between people and between peoples. Um, and, and CRT doesn't bring anything to the table that is, you know, remotely on, on the level of what we find in the scriptures. And on the other side of it, it brings things to the table that are absolutely contradictory to what we find in the scriptures. We don't need it. We're nearing the end here, uh, Professor Bauckham. Can you um, answer a few more questions um, that come up when uh, critical race theory is being discussed? It's really packaged with some other terms, and you've talked about how important language is and how it can be distorted and reversed and used to sort of uh, as propaganda storylines, if you will. But three words that have been used very much in the media and stories around critical race theory are uh, diversity, diversification, equity, and inclusion. How are these all tied together in your thinking uh, relative to um, uh, critical race theory and how it's promoted? They're, they're tied to CRT in the way that, you know, your brain is, a t- is tied to your body. Um, it's, 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 it comes from this, right? It's rooted and grounded in these assumptions, Um even the words, and I'll just take equity, for example. The idea of equity is different than the idea of equality. Um, equality means everybody plays by the same rules. Everybody has to obey the same laws. If we're going to have a race, everybody you know, starts at the same place and finishes at the same place. Equity has more to do with outcomes. Equity says everybody ought to have and, and achieve the same outcomes. And so what what equity is dealing with is um, disparate outcomes between groups of people and changing laws and changing rules and organizations and everything else in order to have those same outcomes. Well, that's never been achieved anywhere in the world. That's not desirable anywhere in the world. There are people who have different gifts, talents, abilities and desires there are groups of people who have, uh, you know, different, you know, propensities in different areas or whatever. So that's just the way that the world is made. Um, you know, all people are created equal in the sense that we are equal before God in terms of our worth and, and our value and our dignity as human beings. But not everybody's the same size. Not everybody has the same intelligence. Not everybody has the same strength. And the beauty that we find in human relationships is when we use those things in order to complement one another, as opposed to warring against those things as though everybody is supposed to have the same outcome. Professor, some would say that at least we're talking about race as if we haven't been for a long time. And talking about things instead of acting on them or being violent um, is a good thing. Uh, Of course, you know, across this country, while you've been in Zambia, we've had a lot of violence in this country. But uh, talk about the issue that some would say that at least talking about race, that critical race theory brings up, uh, is a good thing, a good aspect of it. 
I don't think there's a country anywhere in the world that talks about race as much as we do and as much as we have in the United States, period, full stop. I'll also say that I would argue America is among the least racist countries in the world, if not the least racist country in the world. And people who don't believe that just need to go live somewhere else for a while. Um, and, and they'll see, you know, what I'm talking about. And so these things talk about race. So what? Why do we need these things in order to talk about what we've been talking about since our founding? I mean, we, uh, America has been having a discussion about race since its founding. There were disagreements over slavery, for example, since our founding. And we've not stopped talking about race. I don't know about you, but everybody that I know who's gone through an American school has learned about slavery and you know, racism and civil rights movement and all these sorts of things. Where, where are these people living who say that we need to have a conversation about race? I've never had a time in my life where we weren't talking about race. And we talk about it nonstop. I don't, I don't know where these people are, are living that they think that we're not talking about race. Usually what these people mean is we need to have a conversation about race from the perspective of critical race theory with mm-hmm. the assumptions of oppressor oppressed and, you know, disparate outcomes are evidence of racism, so on and so forth. Because we are having a conversation. Just some people want the conversation to go a very specific way. Professor Vodi Bakum. Thank you so much for some great insights and some knowledge and some wisdom and perspective on critical race theory that has been separating this country on the issues of race for so long. And that has, as we've said, leaked over into our foreign policy as well. So to to our audience, I hope you learned some things. I hope you enjoyed this discussion with the professor and I hope you will join us again next week. We will see you on America's Web Radio Uh, This is Ron Bachman signing off for Healthcare Insight. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.